You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees, recorded at Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, Sunday, August 13, 2023. For more information about SVBC, you can visit their website, svbcfamily.com, or find them on all things social, at svbcfamily. Now with Romans, we're, we're getting into the nitty-gritty, we're getting into the doctrine, we're getting into the, the, thing, the, the things that every believer needs to know. But when we... So we find ourselves in, in the eighth chapter of Romans now. The eighth chapter of Romans, I need to get my clicker thing. David told me to make sure it was on. It is on, hot dog. I'm squared away. The eighth chapter of Romans is one of my very favorites. And... As you know, there's, a, there's about a half dozen verses that I beat to death. I might have to use that because my computer is frozen. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, the very first, very first scripture, in fact, I'm just going to use my Bible. There's a new concept. I just need my glasses. <laughs> funny how we get so caught up and used to technology when something goes wrong I'm the first to say oh no give me a second to get caught up with you guys you got it on the screen but one of the verses I beat to death is this very first one and why is it there's a there's a few verses that I, 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 I repeat over and over and over. And, and find some way to work it in almost every single sermon. It's not because I only know six verses, six or seven verses. It's because it's one of those verses that's so important that you get, that you understand. And while I'm driving the, the song clean, I had no intention of playing that. I, I sent that to... David, like 10 minutes before I rolled in the the parking lot. Because I just felt God just really tugging at at me about this. We are going to do the expositional type thing here for the the next 17 verses. But I want to stop for a second and, and, and talk about this first verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. That's verse 1 and 2. Therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Why Why do I drive this thing home? Why do I work this thing in every sermon that I can? Why is it that I was excited that I'm at Romans 8.1 because I get to say this verse again? Why is there being no condemnation for those in Christ is so important? Why is it because the church so often is filled with broken people who feel dirty? Why do they feel dirty? Whether it's because of stuff that has happened to them, whether it's because of stuff that they have done, whether it's because of stuff that they just haven't been able to forgive themselves for, regardless of what the case may be, so many of us walk around 
feeling dirty. Why is that? First of all, because as there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for anybody who's listening to the voice of the devil in anything, there is a lot of condemnation. You've got to, and I talked about this, you've got two voices speaking to you. Actually, three. You've got your own, you've got, you, you got the devil, and you've got the God. There are, all this stuff is going on inside you. The devil tries to speak condemnation into your life. And when you listen to the voice of condemnation, you feel dirty. Why do you feel dirty? Because you buy into the lie from hell that you are not clean. You buy into the lie from hell that what you've done or what has been done to you has somehow broken you into a peace. Sometimes the things that are done to us do break us in certain ways. But let me tell you, you are more than conquerors through, the, through Jesus Christ. We're gonna, that's, here's another one we're going to be talking about in Romans. So often, I have been taught, I was taught as a kid in church, that on Judgment Day, that all the stuff that you didn't that you didn't ask for forgiveness for, that it was going to be revealed to everyone. That it was going to be one of these things. And I, I did a sermon one time somewhere, actually it was a Bible lesson, and I put a picture of a gigantic jumbotron, you know, like a, like at a ball game. You go see a ball game, they got the gigantic jumbotron. And and the church has taught people that basically things that you didn't say you were forgiven for, it's going to be revealed to all of humanity on this gigantic jumbotron-like thing on the Day of Judgment. Does that mentality or is that idea have the ability to kind of feed into your feelings of worthlessness and your feelings of dirtiness? That you think that, okay, that, that God's somehow still holding something against me so that if I don't somehow... Forgive, ask for forgiveness of this thing. I know people who are like, God, help me. Help me remember the thing that I did that I need forgiveness for. I, I, I don't want to find, I don't want that thing to be revealed. I don't want that, I don't want the world to see. Anybody who feels that way, you're not getting this verse that I pound and over and over and over. Therefore, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just like the song says, the blood flowed and it washed you clean. You are a clean people, believers. You have been washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. If God looks at you and sees nothing but clean, if God looks at you and sees nothing but the righteousness of Christ, who are you to see anything else? Who are you to hold something against yourself that the creator of the universe doesn't hold against you? We were talking about the sin cycle in Sunday school. And we've been talking about flesh and spirit and all this stuff in Romans. You know, it's almost like that... That thing where we're just chasing their tails all the time. We try to do the right thing. And Paul talked about that. I think it was last week we were talking about, why do I do the stuff that I hate? Why don't I do the right thing? Now, if Paul struggles with that, I'm telling you, we struggle with that. Why does that cycle keep going? It's because we, we are, even though we have a new, we are new creations and we have the spirit of the living God in us, 
we still have to wrangle with this flesh thing. There's still that war going on. So sometimes that war between the spirit and the flesh, sometimes that also makes us feel dirty or makes us feel unworthy. Have you ever felt unworthy, church? I have. And if I look at myself honestly, there's a side of me that I still am. I still feel that way. Why? Because I truly am. I've done nothing to deserve the favor God's given me. That's the beautiful thing about salvation being a gift and this cleansing that makes you white as snow being a gift. I don't deserve it. It was a gift. I can't earn it. I can't work my way into that. I can't somehow get myself, you know, a a piece of spiritual soap and scrub myself so much that I'm spiritually clean. I can't do it in myself because I still wrangle with this flesh thing. But God has made me clean, church. God has made you clean, church. I don't care what you're doing, what you've ever done, what you will ever do. I don't care what has happened to you. You are not dirty or unworthy because of it. Because therefore now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. What does that mean? You are not guilty. You have been found not guilty. You have been justified by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. What is justified? We talked about that a lot. It's a not guilty verdict. So the jumbotron thing, on the day of judgment, it doesn't exist. It's not there. If you are an unbeliever, and you have not accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, yeah, all your stuff's going to be, it's going to be judged. There is no condemnation for the believer. No condemnation. I don't care what version of the Bible that you, that, that you read. It still says there's no condemnation. I've read this thing in the Greek. Guess what? There's no condemnation. <laughs> you are clean, church. You are clean. You have been washed in the blood of Christ. If you have asked Jesus into your heart, and you've said, Jesus, take the will. I can't make it without you. If you've, if you've engaged in that relationship with Christ, all the junk from the past is the past. You know, David in the Psalms said, forgive me, oh God, my blood guilt. What was he talking about? Of course, he was talking about that she was husband that he had killed. But there's still a universal point that we can draw from this. Sometimes the things that we have done and the things that maybe have been done to us, they have a way of, of, of sticking to us. They have a way of, of, of us not being able to separate ourselves from those things. It's blood guilt. You realize that even David, who was David? David was the, 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 the king of Israel in which God promised Messiah to come through his line. I'd say that makes him pretty significant. 
It's the same David that he said, that he predicted, or prophesied, I should say, prophesied that Messiah would sit on his father's throne, the throne of David for eternity. So David was a very important guy. God called David a man after my own heart. Very important guy. But even this very important guy, who was a man after God's own heart, got to sometimes we deal with guilt that is hard to get rid of, that it sticks to us like Velcro. Have you ever seen the, if, if, if you have kids and the Velcro balls instead of the darts, you throw it and it sticks to the little, the little target? Sometimes guilt has a way of sticking to us that way. If David need to say, God, help me, help, help me for, uh, forgiveness of this blood guilt thing, Maybe we too as a church, as individuals, if we feel unclean and we feel dirty or we feel any of these things, maybe a good starting point would be where David did. God, help me with this guilt. God, help me with this feeling. God, help me with this brokenness. God, help me. I can assure you that anything that you're dealing with in life, if your starting point is God help me, you're doing pretty good. You are clean. Church, I don't want anyone in this place or anyone who watches these YouTube videos to ever feel unworthy, unclean, or any of these things, or feel this guilt that they shouldn't feel. Why? Because... They were made clean. Let me tell you about the forgiveness of Christ. Here's another one of those things. I pound in. Pound, 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 pound because it's so important. Here's something else I've said over and over and over and over again. The forgiveness of Christ, the work that was done at the cross, it wasn't something that needed to be done over and over and over like the sacrificial lambs before Christ. Why? Because the blood of Christ was so precious and is so precious that just one of those drops would have been enough to wipe away everything that you've ever done, everything you're doing, and everything that you ever will do. Your forgiveness is complete. It is whole. You know, what? God doesn't expect us to come, some, come groveling to the cross saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, because you are forgiven. Repentance again, that's a different thing. Do we need to agree with God when we're wrong? Yes, we do. Do we need to turn away from those things? Yes, we do. But we don't need to be defeated and feel beat down because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Church, you are forgiven. You are clean. You have been given the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ. We've been reading that. We've been studying that. We've been preaching about that. The righteousness of Christ. When the Father sees you, he doesn't see your stuff. He sees the righteousness of his Son if you've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. That's what he sees. The Bible tells us that God takes the, our sins and he throws it as far as the east to the west. What does that mean? I've talked about this. Here's your, here's your quiz. Did you listen to me last time? How far is the east from the west? Let's talk north and south first. Let's start at the equator. 
Let's go north. North, 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 north. You get to the you get to the pole. Now how are you going? South, 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 south. All the way down to the South Pole. Now what are you doing? North, 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 north. Now let's take east to west. If I'm going east, and I go east, 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 even if I go all the way around to the other side of the world, what am I still doing? I'm still doing east. West. I'm heading west. West, 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 west. I go all the way around the world. Here's the thing. Here's, there's no accident that, that, the, that the God didn't say, I take your sins and throw them from as far as the north or the south because they meet. He throws them as far as the east to the west because they don't meet. He scatters them to the four winds. They're gone. You're forgiven. It says somewhere else, and it's like casting it into the sea of forgetfulness. Like it never happened. Stop condemning yourself, church. Stop condemning the person to your left and to your right because they are forgiven because of my Jesus and the price that he paid on Calvary. Stop walking defeated, church. And stop beating the snot out of your brothers and sisters because they're forgiven too. Here's the thing about your brothers and sisters. They're dealing with this flesh thing too. They're dealing with all the same stuff. We won't always get along for that reason. But don't beat your brothers and sisters up. Because just like you, they're clean if they've asked Jesus in their hearts. I didn't finish all that. I think I did. <laughs> you are clean. What the law was powerless to do, and that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of a sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the spirit. So what made the law weak? Us. Do you realize God's law is perfect? Do you realize there's no flaws in God's laws? They're pretty black and white too. They're pretty easy. We talked about that. I know we added a lot of rules. I mean, he gave us ten. <laughs> Jesus narrowed it down to two. Ten commandments. Jesus made it even easier. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He made it even easier. But where's the breakdown? Why is it so hard? It's because anytime you put people in the equation, it starts to break down. <laughs> if, you think, if you think that you're in a, you know, if you have a perfect life, a perfect church, a perfect workplace, a perfect everything, you're fooling yourself. Because anytime you put us in the equation, things start to break down. Even the law, the perfect law of God. So its impact, its impact in the world, its strength in the world was weakened, not because of God, but because of us and that rebellion against that law. And because he gave you the free will. Free will, I talk about that a lot. That's a tricky thing. That's a tricky thing. Why, why, why do we sin so much? 
Because we have, he gives us the ability to choose. He gives us the ability to choose the right thing and the wrong thing. He gives us the ability to choose him or the devil. He gives us the ability to choose whether to do the right thing or the wrong thing. But any time that you even put a perfect law in the hands of an imperfect people, it begins to weaken. Because we're going to drop the ball. So why did he send Jesus? Because Jesus didn't drop the ball. The Father sent the Son because he knew he wasn't going to drop the ball. Jesus didn't. What are some of the basic tenets of our faith? That Jesus was preexistent, that he was incarnate, that he came here in the flesh, and that he was born of the Virgin Mary, and that he lived a sinless life. Jesus didn't drop the ball, not even once. Jesus didn't drop the ball. Even though he came in the likeness of a sinful man, he, came, he looked like me. Even though he looked like you, he came in the likeness of a sinful man, but he wasn't a sinful man. He was fully God, fully man, and he never dropped the ball. So that's why. That's why we know from the law, we know from the book of Hebrews, that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Why, so, why such a radical idea? Because sin's that serious. For the wages of sin is death. Sin is really that serious. That's why so many lambs and calves and goats had to die. That's why, that's why all this, this death is surrounded because of our sins. It's why the, the creator of the universe himself came to die. Because our sin was that serious. But he was that much more serious about saving us. The Father sent the Son, and the Son came in the flesh and lived a fully obedient life, a life obedient even to death, death on a cross. It's right here. Why? Because He was going to be that sin offering. Blood had to be shed for the forgiveness of your sins. But if, it, if we were still... If we were still depending on lambs and goats and sheep and doves and all of these things, guess what? Every year you'd have to come back. <laughs> Why is it that we don't? We just talked about it. Because the blood of Christ washes you clean. The blood of Christ for, causes you to be forgiven in a way that's complete. Complete forgiveness. Have you ever gotten complete forgiveness from anybody else? I would dare say no. Jesus came. He came in the form. Hey, I'm working again. He came in the form of a sinful man. But being sinless, he became the sin offering. In your salvation, in your forgiveness, your cleanliness, your righteousness, it all hinged on Messiah Jesus. And he didn't drop the ball. He didn't let you down. He was obedient even to death, death on the cross. Well, know what's even cooler? 
The death of Christ brought about your forgiveness. The resurrection of Christ, where he beat hell in the grave, is what allows you that someday, even once you pass this from this earth, and we cremate you or put you in the ground, that there will be another day that you will rise again because that same Jesus not only gave you power over sin because of his forgiveness, he's given you power over death because my Jesus has defeated hell in the grave. That's huge. That's huge. My Jesus has overcome the world. See what time it is. Five and six. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. Where's your head? Where's your heart? Is your ambition? Is your desire, is where you invest your time and your money, is, is all of these things, what is it geared for? What does it go towards? You know, wherever, wherever you place your treasure, that's where your heart is. But I'm not talking about just money. <laughs> I'm talking about you. You know, what, where do you invest your time in? What are the things that are important to you? Are the things that are important to you, are they godly things? Is your, are your desires to want to please God? Is your, your desires to want to, to know Him more? Is it to serve Him more? Is it not because He demands some, some list of things for you to do, but, but because you want to be part of His work, because you want to be part of His kingdom, and you want to do the stuff that He wants you to do? Is that where your heart is? Or is your ambitions and the things that you're after, are they more carnal? Are they more fleshly in, in, in nature? Are you working for the fastest car just because you like the fastest car and it has nothing to do with God? Again, I like fast cars. That's the cool thing about being a cop. I get to drive fast cars down the middle of the road and everybody's got to get out of my way. I'm not condemning that. But is, are you working really hard for the fast car, the bigger house? And there's nothing wrong with any of these things. Your motive and your ambition is what can make it wrong. I know some godly people who are very well off. God has blessed them amazingly. And it's been true. Solomon. You know, Solomon, every single day, more gold came into his, his treasury than what Fort Knox has ever had. You know, so I'm not, I'm not knocking prosperity. What I am knocking is, where's your heart? What are you working for? What are your goals? Are the things that you want to do and the things that are important to you, are they spiritual things or are they worldly things? Because if your heart is in a spiritual place and it wants to please God, you want to do things that are spiritual in nature and please God. That might be blessing somebody. That might be sharing your faith with somebody. That might be anything. Whatever the case may be. But are you working, 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 working for the American dream? 
What is the American dream? The, the, the car, the house, the picket fence, the dog? Is that the stuff you're working for? Or are you working because you want to be in alignment with the will of God? Sometimes you're blessed and those, th- those two things get to be the same. The things, that, the things that you enjoy are also the things that God has called you to do. The part of this passage, though, is kind of evaluate where you are in your spiritual walk. What is the things that are important to you? Are you pursuing the flesh or are you pursuing the spirit? What are you, what are you going after? The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. What's a saying I said a few weeks ago? You can't run with the devil and walk with God. So if your mind and your heart is in a flesh place, if your mind and the heart is doing nothing but pursuing the things of the world, or chasing whatever thing that you're chasing. Your mind's in a place that's not in a spiritual place, and you can't please God. There was a book many, many years ago. It's called The God Chasers. I didn't even read it. It was just a cool title, The God Chasers. What are you chasing after? Are you chasing after the Father's will? Are you chasing after... Just the affection of the Son? Are you chasing after being engaged with the Holy Spirit to make you more like Christ? Or are you chasing after the things of the world? What's important to you? Because unless you're pursuing God, it's going to be hard to please Him. If your mind's in the world, You can't have your mind in the world and your mind on God at the same time. Why? Because darkness and light cannot exist in the same place. Think about that. Is your mind light or is your mind dark? Raise your hand if you've ever seen light and darkness occupy the same space. It doesn't happen, it's impossible. It's impossible to please God and please the devil at the same time. It's impossible to please God and to please the world at the same time. It may be impossible to please God and your boss at the same time. It may be impossible to please God and the neighbor to your left and your right at the same time. It may just be. But if you're chasing God, here's the thing about it. He doesn't run nowhere. He's easy to catch. But if you're pursuing God in his ways and your mind is and your heart is set on him, you will absolutely be in a, a, an aroma or a fragrance that pleases him. You, however, I didn't realize I advanced that. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh. He's talking to you, church. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, so if God lives in you, you should be in the realm of the Spirit. You are in the realm of the Spirit. Does God live in you? 
Again, if you've asked Jesus Christ into your heart, and you say, I need you, I can't do it without you, the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit tabernacles with us, lives in us. If you are a believer, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. It's there. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Whose righteousness? His righteousness. This flesh that you're sitting in, I promise you it's going to die. It's going to. It's appointed. Here's another word from the Scripture. It's appointed that every man shall die once. That's going to happen. So my guess is even if the rapture occurs, who knows, you know, before you're taken up, who knows, you might die and then you get raised. I, I don't know. But you will be subject to death. But here's the beautiful thing about those who are in Christ. If Christ is in your heart and he lives in you, he is the resurrection and the life. Even when you die, you will still live. Do you get that? Because of Jesus, a believer never truly dies. That this physical death that we endure here is it's almost like the caterpillar in the in the butterfly. The caterpillar it it it, it it's it, it goes into its little its little nest thing, the little pod, whatever they call that thing chrysalis. And the chrysalis, the chrysalis, the process, at the end, even though it would appear that it was dead, it rises up a beautiful butterfly. Do you realize that that's what you're doing, folks? That even when this flesh dies, because you have Christ in you, that you're just going into that little, that little spot, and that chrysalis process has taken place. And when, and when he calls you home, you will be a beautiful creation far beyond your imagination. You will have a resurrection body. But the important key thing here is you never die. A believer never dies. A believer never experiences the second death. And I'll start moving more quickly here. <laughs> and if the Spirit in Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh, to live according to it, to live according to the Spirit. You have an obligation to live by the Spirit. When you say, Jesus, take me, you are obliged to give yourself to him. <laughs> you can't have it both ways. Jesus, take me, but I'm still going to live over here. Can't walk with the friends of the devil and walk with God. Can't live in two worlds. You can't be light. You can't be dark. But when, when the Holy Spirit lives in you, you never die, and that same Spirit will physically raise you once again. Do you realize, and, and this was a big Pharisee-Sadducee argument, 
the bodily resurrection. Paul clearly says that there's a bodily resurrection. This thing is going to rise again, but it's not going to have the knee with no cartilage behind it. It's not going to have the messed up muscles. It's not going to have the missing tooth. It's not going to have any of that. It's going to be a resurrection body. When Jesus raised from the dead, do you realize they touched him? They put their fingers in his wounds and his side. It's a physical resurrection. Paul talks about that. The Sadducees said that's bull. The Pharisees got that part right. It's not. It's true. (laughs) Paul says it's true. We know it's true because of Jesus. That the Spirit will even give life again to this mortal body. And you will rise again. You will rise again. You know, this last year, year and a half, lost both my parents. Charles lost Leslie. They're going to rise again. My daddy and my mama and Leslie, they're going to rise again in their beautiful resurrection bodies. Do you realize that gives you a living hope, folks? And it's not me just standing here, smoke screens and, and fancy mirror tricks. This is what the Word of God is saying. You are going to rise again. That the same Spirit that lives in you will give life to that mortal body. And just like Jesus rose in the, in the flesh, you too will rise again. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But by the Spirit to put to death, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Just let me take half a second on that. The children of God. Do you get that the Bible says that believers are adopted into sonship. What does that mean? It means that guys and gals, when you've asked Christ in your heart, you become a child of God. He's no longer just this high and mighty guy sitting on the throne somewhere up there. He becomes Abba, your father. Adoption. Like I said, I know in West Virginia, you adopt a child in West Virginia, the original father is taken off the birth certificate and the new father is put on the birth certificate. That's the way the Spirit works. That it doesn't matter if we were born into this world, if we were born children of Satan. Lucifer gets taken off of your birth certificate and Abba gets put on it. child of God, a co-heir with Christ. So when you're feeling dirty again and you're feeling unworthy, get this, you are a child of God who is a co-heir with Christ himself. That's Paul, that's not me. You are a child of God who is a co-heir with the creator of the universe. That makes you kind of special. That makes you kind of something else in this world. Makes you kind of something else in this universe. You know the angels can't say that? 
Someone's like, oh, it might be, it would be cool to be an angel. You could be fighting demons and you could be doing all this stuff. Do you realize God didn't die for the angels? It doesn't matter how cool they are or what they can do. If they can do backflips in the sky with their wings or they don't have wings, who knows? It doesn't matter if they got these cool lightsaber looking like swords with Star Wars. It doesn't matter. He didn't die for angels because he regards you higher than even the angels. He may have brought you in, in this world, just a place that appears just a little below the angels. But your seat in eternity is that with Christ. You are a co-heir. Do you get what he gave you? He gave you not only life and a resurrection body, he gave you a, a life of an eternity where you are a co-heir with the creator of the universe. And that's no small thing. Next time you, the devil tells you that you're not worthy, say, I am a co-heir with Christ. I am a co-heir with Christ. The Father has joined you in this way with the Son that you are reaping his benefits for his work. He gave that to you. Isn't that a cool gift? That's way cooler than any Christmas present I've ever gotten. And I've gotten a few cool ones over the years. The Spirit, three more verses. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live and fear again, rather the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. The family of God. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. What is Abba? You can't tell us, Eric. I'm... What is Abba? Daddy. It's a Hebrew word for father. We liken it in English to daddy. You know, anybody can be a father. Not everybody can be a daddy. Your father in heaven wants to be your daddy. And we call him Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with their spirit that we are God's children. You want to talk about a reliable witness or a testimony about you, about who you are? The Spirit of God himself testifies to the fact that you are his. Now let's land this plane. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Do you think I was just making that up? If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we may also share in his glory. We, we, we share in the sufferings of Christ. We're getting ready to, to share communion, which is a remembrance of the suffering of Christ. But we suffer in our own ways. We suffer for the name of Christ. Have you ever lost a friend? Have you ever lost a family member? Have you ever had somebody call you a Jesus freak? Have you ever thought somebody thought you fell off to the cart and banged your head or lost your nut? Have you ever had that happen to you? If you're a believer at some point, you've had that happen to you. You have. And maybe God's called you to do things that you, you, you thought that you had another path that might be cooler. Who knows? That might have been a path of suffering. I don't know. Your path of suffering, you know what that is. I don't. But the Father knows what that is. But children of God, just like 
You were called into the suffering of Christ. And just like in baptism, you symbolically enter into the death and resurrection of Christ. Just like all of these things, you too will share in the glory. You will share in the glory. Justification, being found not guilty. Sanctification, the process of the Holy Spirit making you more like Christ. And glorification is your reward at the other end. If my deacons will come forward. We're going to take a moment and just remember. Remember the sufferings of Christ. We've been talking about his blood. We've been talking about the price he paid. We've been talking about the benefit. We've been talking about the fact that you were clean. You're not dirty. He's made you worthy, even though if we, if we had to do it on our own, we wouldn't be worthy. We've talked about all of these things. We've talked about his gift of righteousness. We've talked about his gift of forgiveness. We've talked about all of these things. Well, this, folks, the thing that we're about to remember is how it all happened. We're going to take just a few moments and we're going to remember that sacrifice. We're going to remember that price. We're going to remember that cat of nine tails that just, just ripped his flesh from his bones. We're going to remember the beatings. We're going to remember the torment. We're going to remember the crown of thorns. We're going to remember being, being sold out by your own people, choosing Barabbas over you. We're going to remember all of these things. We're going to remember having all of your friends scatter except one, John. We're going to remember all of these things that Christ endured. Why? Because of you. There's a song with a beautiful name, but Hillsong Worship does. He says he couldn't imagine, he couldn't imagine heaven without you. That's why he did it. Why did he make all of this stuff? To show you this world, he wanted to show you how much he loves you. Why did he come in the flesh? To show you how much he loves you. Why did he die on the cross? To show you how much he loves you. And what does he ask? Just that we accept and that we remember and that we walk in light, that we are salt in the world, that we are light and salt in this world. That's all he asks. He's made it so easy. He's made it so easy.